Well done. Thank you. Um, for those of you who have kids and haven't already made use of it, there's coloring stuff out there. There's toys in the other room. We have the kids with us in the service today, which is great. Um, so enjoy the noise. It's all good. Would you grab your Bibles and go to Galatians 3, please? I should do our call to worship first and our greeting. Thanks for reminding me of that, Marco. <laughs> Hear this as God greeting you this morning. This is the end of John. It's the season of resurrection that we are in right now. And this is a resurrection account. When it was evening on that day in the first day of the week and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked because of fear of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Pause there for a moment. You remember earlier on the gospels, Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. He says it again. And maybe some of you this week, as I have had to do this week, need to claim what Jesus said when he says, my peace I give unto you. Was Jesus ever out of peace? Did he ever lack it? It's yours. It's already yours. And he reminds them of it. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us once again to be filled with the Spirit. So once again, receive the Holy Spirit, friends. Be filled. Let's celebrate who he is and what he's done. Sin and death have been defeated. The lost are being found. Peace is being offered. Our triune God does these things. Amen. Thanks, Marco. Quick story that's somewhat unrelated. Um, last night, um, my boys and I were praying together before bedtime. They're, they're 11 and 9. And um, you have to coach kids on, on getting out of the, you know, you give them some formulas, right, for, for, for prayer. Right. And maybe like mine growing up was now I lay me down to sleep and maybe yours was something different. And um, well, grace was God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. And it became just rote. Right. And so, but as you teach your kids to pray and you give them the formula, but then teach them how to branch out, they, they do, which is really cool. Um, we're going to come back to formulas here in a moment, but um, we're praying. And so we're, they're just each offering their, their requests to God. And um, after we'd finished, Silas, who's nine, looks up at me and says, what does the mustard seed do? Where's this coming from? We had not been talking about the mustard seed at all. I'm like, what's the mustard seed do? I'm like, well, they, they, uh, they support those who are homeless and those who are um, 
just struggling, not getting enough meals and so on. Um, they, they make meals for people. They provide lots of support um, to those in need. He's like, oh, I heard God say, give money to the mustard seed. Like, that is just, it was so random, so out of the blue. We had not been talking about that stuff. We had not been praying about it. But he'd learned to listen during a time where we focused on God. And he heard something from the Lord and passed it along to us. And that, that is really interesting. I said, well, have you guys been giving lately? And they're like, actually, we're a little bit behind on our givings. You know, they, they, get, they get some off, um, they get an allowance, but then out of that, they're, we're encouraging them to give. And they're like, actually, we, it's been a little while. So it was like God was speaking to them about, here's an opportunity for you guys. Um, but he also used it to remind me, and I had to go have a conversation with Chantel that, you know, we, we got some extra money recently. We need to give out of that extra money that we've received. And the Lord just sort of reminded us very gently through our kids, um, but all because a kid paid attention in prayer. So as we now sit around God's word, and as much as you are hearing my voice, what you actually need to be doing is doing what Silas did, which is paying attention to what the spirit is saying in the moment. I had not been praying about the mustard seed. Marcus had not been praying about the mustard seed, but Silas was sufficiently attentive to God in that moment that he heard something from the Lord. That's your job this morning. That's my job this morning. That as much as there might be words on a page and an outline of where we're going, uh, as much as we're gonna read these scriptures and so on, you need to pay attention for how the Lord is landing something with you or what the Lord wants to say to you. And it may not have anything to do with what I currently say, but because you're in the moment focusing on him, he will bring it to you. Okay, let's go. If you grew up in the 80s, uh, you may remember television commercials. Uh, I don't know how long they kept this going. I don't want to grow up because if I did, I wouldn't be a, only a couple of you got that. I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid, right? How many of you actually know that song? Do you remember it? I see that hand. (laughs) I don't want to grow up because if I did, I wouldn't be a Toys R Us kid. Some of us don't want to grow up when it comes to the church and religion seems a lot easier than what Jesus is actually offering us. But there's something really good on offer and it's worth growing up. And that's what, as we have been working our way through Galatians, that has been Paul's main message. It has been, here's what growing up looks like. And it doesn't look like praying the rote prayers, like now I lay me down to sleep. It doesn't mean defaulting to the formulas. It doesn't mean going back to the rules as though those were the end in themselves. Growing up means going beyond that stuff. And we can only go beyond it as we step into the inheritance that he's talking about here. So we are gonna, we are gonna continue with 
what has in many ways been our very repetitive couple of weeks going through Galatians. And we're coming towards the end of the repetitiveness. But Paul wants to make sure that we actually get it because it's so easy for us just to start trusting in our religious practices. And God's not the least bit impressed with our religious practices when we trust in them. So that's where we're going. We have to grow up. We don't want to be Toys R Us kids. Let's start with verse 22 of chapter 3. Paul has been pushing these people to say, don't go back to the law. You're Gentiles. In other words, you didn't grow up as Jewish people with all of the, <clears throat> the particular festivals you have to go to, the particular meals you're supposed to celebrate, the particular things you're supposed to abstain from, like bacon. You're, you're, um, you're, it's not about a Sabbath day. Uh, don't go back and trust in those things, but they are. They are. They're starting to put their trust in their own efforts at religion instead. And Paul says, if you go that way, it will actually end up being a curse to you. And he's laid that out already in chapter three. We're not going to go back to that curse stuff, but you can talk to me about it later. But it raises, as he has interacted with them and as he's really pushed them to say, don't just go back to that, that Old Testament stuff. We have grown up. We have moved beyond it. As he says that, it raises the question in the minds of his hearers, well, what then is the place of the law? What do we do with the scriptures? Didn't God inspire these? Didn't he give them? You know, wasn't there a pretty big event on Mount Sinai and, and the tablets that, that Moses got and all that? Like, why, why are you now putting that to the side? That's, that's the question that's being raised for his hearers. And so what he's going to do now is he's going to address that. So look at verse 20, starting at verse 22 of chapter three. He's going to say, scripture has confined everyone under sin so that the promise, the promise being the spirit, as you see in verse 14, so that the promise um, would, co- the, would come by faith in Jesus Christ so that the promise might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. What's the role of the law? It's to keep you in custody. And he's going to explain what that means. So that we were were confined until the faith that was destined for us was revealed. That might be really confusing to you, but he unpacks it in verse 24. Therefore, The law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Pause there. What's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to get you ready for Jesus. And it's like, you are the Toys R Us kid. You You are a minor. You are underage. And the purpose of the law was to keep you in this space where you were safe until you grew up, until Christ came. Maturity comes with Christ. Christ brings the spirit. We receive those by faith. But until such a time as that happened, the place of the law was to be a babysitter for people. That's what he means by a guardian. And he's going to go on and explain that in a couple of verses. The purpose of the law was to prepare you to receive the promise, to prepare you to receive Jesus who would bring the spirit by faith. That's the purpose of the law. So the question that has been rolling around in the minds of his hearers week after week is, 
we, we follow the law. We follow this Old Testament stuff because this is what it means to be the true people of God. And Paul says, no, if you go back to that now, you are reverting to a less mature form of life. You're, you, you're regressing. You're not acting your age. You're becoming less mature, not more mature. If you trust in your religious practices, rather than in faith and putting your faith in Jesus who has given you the spirit, if you put your trust in that stuff, you, you're not growing up, you're, you're growing down. That, that's the point that he's making here. The law was very much training wheels. The, the law was, the Old Testament, this stuff was training wheels to get people ready for Jesus. He says, Jesus has come. So don't look at Jesus and then go, oh, but this stuff's so much better. It's so much easier. You know what? It is easier. It's always easier to follow a rule than to foster a relationship with someone. And that's, that's the point that he's making here. But in order to grow up, you have to foster that relationship. And that's harder. It, and it can be a little bit less, um, I don't want to say less rewarding, but less um, the, the markers uh, of achievement and success can, are, are not always so obvious. When you keep Sabbath, when you give your tithe, when you show up at church and as though that is the checkbox, it can, it can check boxes for you and make you feel like I accomplished what I should religiously accomplish. And that should make me feel good in front of God. And Paul says, no, it's actually now about fostering the relationship with God, not making sure you check religious boxes. So he's going to go on now, verse 29. We're going to, we're going to jump down to that. Actually, sorry. We're going to look at verse 25. He says, faith is where it's at now. By f- now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, Jesus has come. It's now time to put your trust in him, not in how well you can accomplish religion. Jesus has come. There, the check boxes now are not, you show up Sunday, you pay your tithe, you open your daily bread, you read your scriptures, you, you, you say these particular forms of, of you know, the Apostles' Creed in worship as though those are the things that God wants from you in order to establish a relationship with him. And you don't get a good relationship with him if you don't check those boxes. Paul's saying, no, that's not the way it works. You now trust Jesus. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about how if our marriages were defined or our friendships were defined as, I don't punch you in the head, I check that box, I don't have an affair, therefore we have a good relationship. It's like, no, that's not the point. The, we, the relationship isn't fostered by checking a box of saying, I did this, I didn't do that. The relationship is fostered by, first of all, acknowledging that it's a relationship. And that's, that's what Paul wants his hearers to get. Are you engaging God as though this is actually a relationship now, not a transaction? Are we engaging God as though he is friend? 
as though he is father, as though he is brother? Or are we engaging God as though it's just, I pay my tithe, I show up every couple of Sundays. That's what makes God pleased. That's what makes God happy. He smiles on me because I do that. We have to look at it as though it is in fact relational, not transactional. Because we have to grow up. So look at verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. You are heirs according to the promise. Now I say to you, as long as an heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And so we too, when we were children, we were held in bondage to the elementary spirits or principles of the world. But when fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are children of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son or a daughter, then you are an heir through God. He's saying that if you grow up, you get it all. If you grow up, meaning if you trust Jesus and enter into that relationship, rather than checking religious boxes, you get it all. Everything that God has to offer you is now available to you as a mature son or daughter of Jesus son or daughter of the father through Jesus. It's really okay that she's, <laughs> I can see all the eyes going to my daughter. It's really okay. What do you want from God? Like really, what do you want from God? I'm not asking you to call it out. I'm asking you to think about it though. What do you want from God? There is nothing that he has not made available to you that is good for you. It's all on offer. How close do you want to be to God? Do you want to hear him like Silas heard him? How close do you want to be to God? What do you actually want him to help you with in your life that's been blocking you with him? It's all available. He made us. Do, Do you see the word that it says that he made us? He says that he made us heirs. Someone who inherits. It's all available. So the question is then, how do I access that? But it's already yours. It's already yours. Um, 
on Thursday night prayer, one of us, um, we were, we were praying, we were doing our listening time. And then um, one person uh, shared, I'm hearing from the Lord, just this reminder of, I have the inheritance. I have everything that he has made available. I have it. Is this, this sudden realization that um, that the the form of Christianity we were brought up with, I was brought up with, um, which could be oversimplified, but looked basically like you accept Jesus into your heart, you get your ticket to heaven, and now you behave yourselves. Completely leaves out all of the inheritance in the meantime. All the inheritance, according to that model of life with Jesus, is simply what you get when you die. There's actually stuff available to us now. And he's making it available. And that that's and the only way to it is by trusting Jesus and saying, God, I have the inheritance. Walk me into it. Because he has already given us all things. Okay. I'm going. Let's look at verse eight. So he's thinking back to before Christ came or before you received Christ. He says, um, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which were by nature not God. But now as you have come to God, come to know God or rather to be known by God, how is it that you then turn back to all these weak and worthless elementary spirits or principles by which you, um, to which you want to be enslaved all over again? It's just a way of saying religion. That's what he means. He's talking about religious practices devoid of relationship. He says, and so he, he lays that out. He says, you meticulously observe all of these special uh, festival days, these months, these seasons, these years, all these religious practices. You go here on this day, you make this pilgrimage, you make this offering, you, you celebrate this particular um, festival and worship service and so on. He says, you go back to those and I fear that perhaps all of the work that I did with you was for nothing. Do you see how um, dangerous it is to put your trust in your religious efforts as opposed to, I know Jesus and he knows me. If we trust in the fact that we show up here on Sunday morning, that will become a curse to you. As though that is your ticket. If you trust in the fact that you have paid a tithe. If you trust in the fact that you offer prayers at three times a day before your meals, if you trust in the fact that you, oh, I read my scriptures today, so I'm good with God. If you trust in those practices as though that is what makes you right with God, you are under curse. Paul says it. I, I feel like I, I'm worried that you will actually have undone everything I worked for with you. That's what he says. 
I'm going to pause there. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have, you know that scripture? You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, Jesus says, but it is they that point to me and you refuse to me to come to me to have life. I, I, I fear for our particular section of the church, which at times says, I go to my Bible for life. It was the Bible that pointed us to Jesus. That's where life is. Life comes from Jesus. If any of you is thirsty, you must come to the scriptures and drink. Is that what Jesus says? No, it's you must come to me and drink. It's relational. Again, if we miss the relationship, we will have missed life itself. I know I'm putting that starkly, but that's how starkly Jesus put it. If you, if you trust in the fact that you opened your Bible this morning, it's worthless. These things, Paul says, were guardians to lead us to Jesus. We go to Jesus for life. Now, if you want to know what Jesus is like, you better get to know this. But the life isn't in this. The life is not in this, friends. The life is not in this. It's in Jesus. Have you met him here today? Have you heard him speak to you today? Have you encountered him? Because that's where the life is. It's not in our religious practices. Now, you remember how last week, um, last week's message was not in Galatians, it was on baptism. And some of you might be wondering, you really pushed baptism last week, but that's a religious practice. How do you reconcile those? I need a minute to think about that. Not really. I am not in any way saying don't get baptized, don't come to church, don't pay your tithes, don't read your Bible, etc. What I am emphasizing is that life does not come through them. You don't get God by reading your Bible. You get God by coming to Jesus. Okay? You are not going to... Um, your, your relationship with God is not established by going through baptism. You are baptized because you have a relationship with Jesus. I, I don't read my Bible for my relationship with Jesus to get a relationship with Jesus. I read my Bible because I have a relationship with Jesus. Do you see the difference? Because it's absolutely crucial. So you need to get baptized because you love Jesus. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, they will do what I said. If any of you love me, you will obey my command. So that's why you need to be baptized. And that's why it's not when you reach some specific religious, idealistic, 
peak in your minds where you're like, now I'm holy enough. Now I am righteous enough. Now I am good enough. Now is the time to be baptized. No, the time to be baptized is when you meet Jesus. And because you love him, we do what he says. Whatever he says. And what he says is, go get baptized. And we could talk more about that. There are sheets on baptism at the back, by the way. We are, for those of you who don't know, we are having a baptism service on June 19th. If you love Jesus and you said you're following Jesus, the way to prove that is baptism. That it's the demonstration that, yeah, I have in fact met Jesus and yeah, I do love him and I am committed to following him. And because I love him and I'm committed to following him, I'm doing what he says. But the life does not come through the baptism. The baptism is in response to the life that we have in Jesus. Was that clear? Good. I want you to take a moment and ask the Lord. Say, I want to do what Silas did. We've been, Ben has been speaking, Ben has been praying, but Lord Jesus, what is it that you want me to hear from this? And maybe what he's going to identify for you is in fact something that you have been putting your trust in that is not a relationship with Jesus, but you think it makes the, makes the relationship with Jesus or you're trusting it instead of Jesus. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's, I know he's been saying this to me. I had a conversation with someone recently where it was just um, kept saying, God's been nudging me about this. Been nudging me. I have felt the nudge and then I heard the words. And it was, go do this. In fact, it was, go get baptized. So take a moment, ask the Lord to speak to you as much as Ben has been speaking. What is it that you want to say to me, Lord? And then we'll, we'll wrap it up here in a minute. There's a passage in scripture that was an interesting warning. It says, Today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. It it means that there there is a window of opportunity when God speaks, where you have the chance to respond in a way that will get you closer to him and provide a softer heart toward him and a better response to him if you follow it up. Today, if you hear his voice and you've been hearing the nudge, you've been getting the nudge and you hear his voice and he's saying something to you, you have a window of opportunity. Don't miss it. Because when you miss the window of opportunity, what's lurking there is a chance for your heart to become harder. And we don't want that. According to scripture, growing up means coming to know our Lord Jesus Christ and what he says and what he wants with increasing sensitivity. You know what I mean by that? Increasing sensitivity is different than saying, um, I know my Bible better than ever. 
to say I know my Bible better, better and better, better than I ever have, is essentially to fall under that very condemnation that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about. I quoted you. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. But they, but they point to me and you must come to me to find life. Increasing spiritual maturity means coming to Jesus and responding to what he is saying and doing. That will be confirmed in the scriptures, but it's a different process. Okay? They were our guide. They are our tutor, as the, the passage has said. They're not our God. Jesus is. Let's go to him. Lord Jesus, may we never fall under that condemnation. May we be people who are grateful for and who do search the scriptures, but have come to find life in Jesus. May you make us like those Bereans in Acts that received the message with joy and searched the scriptures diligently to see if it was in fact so. Would you do that for, for myself and for my brothers and sisters here today? That may we receive what you are saying to us with joy and may we, may we ourselves go back to these, these wonderful scriptures that you have given us to see what is in fact so because we want to make sure that we are in step with what you are saying and doing. May we not put our trust in check boxes of religion, even the ones that have been unconsciously handed to us. May we only ever put our trust in Jesus not in ourselves, not in other systems, not in anything other than our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the work that you have done for us, Jesus. Father, we praise you. Thank you for sending your spirit. We love you, Lord. You are the God we serve. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Say goodbye to those who are online. We got more juice. Don't worry. We got more juice. Blessings to those of you who are online. Thanks for joining us. Blessings on your week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you again soon.